Hello and welcome to Molding Masculinity. I'm Tom McFarlane. I'm here this week once again with Philip Sipe. And this week we're going to dive into a very spicy topic, especially for myself and uh, some history things that I've dealt with in the past few years. And uh, we're going to talk about sexual harassment, both in the workplace and at home and the kind of links between uh, those things. Uh, I'm going to share my story uh, from uh, a few years ago at a former employer's um, and then, uh, Philip, I believe you have some data to kind of bring to the table today. Yep. As per my, I guess, typical MO, I went did some numbers. These are numbers I've looked at before, um, but it's been a while and, you know, had the, I hope this has improved since the last time I looked at it and it has not. So, or, well, that's not entirely fair. Some things are slightly different, slightly improved, but um, certainly not to the point that you that I was hoping they would be. <laughs> right. And I feel like that's a pretty common, like, you know, e even after the, an incident of which I'm going to discuss, uh, when I moved on to a new employer, I moved on to a new employer who often kind of had that approach of like, well, the, you know, we've, thankfully we've moved on past the days where we had sexual harassment issues. And it's been like, no, no, we really haven't. Uh, and I feel like yeah. that's, one of those we we get such a framework of progressive progression occurring in our minds that I think often doesn't uh, it, it struggles to match with reality and um, which was part is part of exactly so I'm 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 gonna dive right into it if, um, I'm gonna go ahead and dive right into it so a few years ago I came out of college and I started working uh, for an employer and. Um, it, it was a food service, uh, situation and sorry, I'm pulling all my thoughts together here. Um, we, oh, no worries. it was during, well, actually, wow. I hadn't actually thought about this till right now that the timing is so thematic because it was, uh, in the beginning of October, we were having our Halloween party as we, uh, opened up spooky season. And I was a manager. I was the junior manager there. I was the youngest manager in the department. And we uh, all did a costume day where we all just showed up to work in various costumes. I have a long history of being a pirate and doing pirate-related things. So I came to work dressed as a pirate. And I had a uh, fencing foil on me as part of my costume. Because as I've mentioned in the podcast before, I used to do fencing. So we uh, we go to a midday meeting where all of the management staff are in attendance as well as a few interns that we had at the time. And our one of our senior managers, um, I, I had sat my fencing foil on the table and one of our senior managers uh, who is was, was an older gentleman, uh, I'd say in his 50s, uh, picked up this fencing foil and then proceeded to spank one of the interns who was standing nearby. Uh-oh. <laughs> and... <is> not good. <laughs> she is immediately 
very uncomfortable with the situation. And there had been a number of other little things where we had been like, hey, uh, you need to, like, calm down, dude, not be like that. And this was but this was far and beyond, like, what we had, I don't know, came to expect from this person. And, uh, yeah, so he spanks her with the fencing foil, and when she, like, spins around and gives him a look, uh, he retorts with... Um, don't act like that. You know you like it. And then does it again. And I take the foil back from him. Uh, there's kind of a like a shocked quiet around the room. And we move on with the meeting. And during the meeting, the intern is having difficulty with what had happened. There's... This situation clearly, like, needed to be addressed. And there was no, nothing. this was the frustrating, like, the first frustrating thing to me was that I was a new manager there, uh, one of only a handful of, like, it, it just, I, I was, you know, it, this was in my first few months on the job at this place. And, uh... This person is who had done this was above my pay grade, who you know was a manager of mine, and nobody in the room who was at the same level of, as him was willing to do anything about this. Like, n- d- didn't want to, didn't want to approach it in any way. Like, oh, okay, we're just gonna pretend that didn't happen and we're gonna move on. Um, afterwards, there was a few other junior managers and myself who, um talk to the interns and like that intern and a few other interns and they I, moving forward we decided to make a claim with hr and uh then also uh with uh, title nine because these were college students and uh, because we were a student facility like we were all of our full-time staff were grown adults and all of our part-time staff were freshman college students um, so there's a dynamic there that exists in that. A lot of 17 and 18 year olds in a building with a bunch of 30 and 40 year olds. And uh, when that went forward, and of course, like, you know, in, in, kitch- in kitchens and I don't know, probably most workplace establishments, uh, even things that are not supposed to be talked about immediately spread and everybody knows about it. Um, and so word got out that there had been uh, a complaint filed. And we had a situation where multiple other women began coming forward with stories. And me and a couple of other junior managers. Isn't that were, always how it works? Right? <laughs> uh, yeah, so me and a few other genu- general managers are addressing these and following... Th- we're... We're like, we're rapidly trying to follow the guidebook of like, what do we do? How do I handle this in the best way to make things work? We're trying to learn on the job and figure this out. And everybody above us just wants to squash it. Just squash it. Just shut this shit down. Just end it. Um, and then finally, our director uh, ha- ended up having a meeting with some of these folks and individuals. And... Flat told them, well, this is what kitchens are like. This is the environment that this workplace is, and you're either going to have to adapt or learn to adapt because this is what it is. Sexual harassment just happens in this workplace. Um, Which immediately brings us to why 
um, yeah, no, this stuff isn't a thing of the past because you always have entrenched people like that who are determined that they, you know to, to maintain these status quos to keep that situation from happening. And I'll say, I didn't buy that even then. You know, even though I was a junior young manager, I didn't buy that shit because I've been in the food service industry for fifteen years. I had this was new. Um, not to say that I hadn't worked places with problems. There's, I want to get into some of that in a bit, but um, I had definitely like you know worked in non-toxic work environments. The idea that kitchens can't exist without sexually harassing all of the female employees is fucking bullshit. But um, that's that was the the statement that was made, and then the decision that was made was essentially to remove these particular student employees from the individuals that they had listed complaints against, and nothing else further. Okay, we separated the two parties. Everything is great now. All of uh, you know, like this older manager. Um, with this list of complaints against him, can now just continue working with all of the other freshman college student employees uh, who haven't listed complaints against him. But because, I mean, he only did it to those few folks. He's not going to do it to any, anybody else. Yeah, this is not a clear establishment of a pattern of behavior. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, man. And, and that right there, I think, brings me to, because then there was also more complaints than that came forward against other, or other you know, people working in this facility. And um, I think there's two things to unpack here. One thing, like, there's well, there's two elements at play here. And I think this is really two types of workplace sexual harassment that are within the realm of our discussion today. And one type is the predatory... Um, singular type of situation right that was this particular manager who was clearly had a repeated pattern of and and, and i should say even after this instant incident and all of this happened this still kept happening with him i because i put eyes on this guy after this what <laughs> right <laughs> Uh, and it was a constant thing where i would find him at check stands chatting up 18-year-old girls, uh, just could not get him separated from certain employees who he just would hover over. Uh, it, there was just repeated problems with this guy. And, and then eventually it became decided that he would not have any direct management authority over students. But again, you can't have somebody with management authority in a facility have them still in that facility and still managing some people, but just not managing other people. Like, no, you still like authority. Isn't just on paper. Like there's authority beyond that. Right. So, right. Just a whole stack of problems. But my point here is saying that he was a predator. He intentionally, he knew exactly what he was doing. He was seeking out young women to groom them and harass them. I can't say that he went any further with anything of that nature, but it I it reached a point where I firmly believed that there was likely stacks of things I didn't know about uh, that was a concern. Um, so that's one type of issue here, right? These are predators. These are people who know what they're doing, are toxic, are... You know, you, you don't reform that. Bad people do exist in the world, and I believe in that. But there is also another side of this and another element of this. And this was, like, essentially the rest of the kitchen, right? These are people who never went through any form of sexual harassment training because we did not provide it in that workplace, 
who just didn't know what the rights and wrongs were, had never been asked or had never it had never occurred to them to process um the dynamics of the workplace right things like power dynamics authority dynamics what's just what's what's appropriate and what is inappropriate and these folks could be trained and taught and they would move on and like th- this was a situation that i have fairly recently encountered where um, because like uh, I deeply criticize myself for this whole event because I did not do enough. Like this guy continued working there for a long time and I never was able to find the path to to solve that, to end that employment, to get him out of that workplace. I blame myself a lot for that. And so moving forward, I've tried to do better about all of this. Uh, and, and recently in a workplace environment, I've had the situation come up where we had people who were being inappropriate and mildly harassing with not a predatory intent to it and i and i pulled i pulled this guy aside and said look this is what's going on this is a problem this is the way that we were able to operate within a workspace this is you know all the same all the stuff i want to talk about here today is what I talked with this person about. We had a shift-long conversation about this. And it worked. It changed the environment. It changed things like that function. Because there is definitely a point of growth, of of, of education that is relevant in all workspaces where we have to teach people these things because as men we are products of a system and we are products of an environment that is the society like the the thing we've talked about this whole podcast about how we treat men and how the expectations we have of men and how all of that all the same stuff we've talked about here folds over into the workplace and So there's that side of it that you can teach and train folks out of. And then there's a side of it where you have predators in the workplace who just have to be removed and you have to acknowledge their presence and not kick it down, kick the can down the road with these various bureaucratic measures I've talked about. So. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that is, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we, I, we went into recording this, you know, with you saying, I have um, a story, you know, and, and the framing of it and in our conversation made it seem like, made in my mind seem like oh, it was going to be like a, like, uh, I'm almost, I'm almost uh, embarrassed to, to report this, like, but like my reaction was like, oh, this will be a really bad one. Uh, and I'm also embarrassed to report that unfortunately uh, I heard that story and was like, sounds like a typical sexual harassment thing. Some creepy older guy does something, you know, inappropriate and not a lot is done. And uh, like, yeah, it's sad to say that, you know, um, I expected to be shocked by your story and wasn't. which I think says something, right? Um, you know, I was expecting some sort of like very like explicit sort of activity, like groping or something like that. And it was just like, mm, yeah, that sounds about right for this sort of thing. 
uh, and it's sad. Um, you know, I think people don't realize how, like, it's funny because I've gone through so many, like, corporate sexual harassment trainings, and they're always, like, some video from the early knots or, you know, sometimes earlier uh, of, like, you know, some people, bunch of people who are clearly on their first acting gig, uh, <laughs> you know, doing, uh, pretending to have a sexual harassment situation in the office. And they're always so cheesy and, and uh, it feels like, like, dare to jump through this hoop and, and learn like things that seem so obvious to me. Um, but, you know, I realized that like, uh, there, like, there was sometimes this environment of like, yeah, we got through this obnoxious training and I feel that way. And so I felt like there was a bit of camaraderie and having to go through that until I realized that some number of the people who are complaining about having to go through this obnoxious training, we're not doing it because it's cheesy and annoying and it's super obvious how not to harass women. Uh, I wish I didn't have to waste my time answering incredibly obvious questions. We're instead going, isn't it annoying that we have to sit and listen to this dumb propaganda we all know is a bunch of lies and like that's not how the real world works and like and I realized that that's what some people were complaining about and it was like I no longer felt like oh I, I'm, I'm okay just participating in the culture of like complaining about having to do this as much as it does like genuinely if you are even remotely keyed into how to not how to treat women with respect professionally it's not a hard training and it's incredibly tedious to go through and it is the kind of thing that you complain about much like the 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 fishing or social engineering like security trainings you have to go through if you have like you know some degree of set uh of skepticism and a uh, small degree of technical expertise like almost all of these are incredibly obvious uh things to to beat it feels sort of like that but the the fact of the matter is like there's a they wouldn't have to do this if there weren't a large number of people who do not uh who need this training you know who who do need this training and you you just stumbled onto a point i was like i was gearing up to make uh as as an i as a as a, a, a technology professional um I was about to say, like, you know, something that I have noticed in workplaces over the past uh, almost 20 years now is that women in the workplace never complain about sexual harassment training. And I was about to make a comparison that I have also never heard any IT professionals complain about security and phishing and email fraud training but yet everyone else in the workplace does like everybody like anybody i have ever worked with who was not an it professional hates the security training they have to go through but it professionals don't complain about that because it professionals know that a large chunk of the workplace doesn't understand how this stuff works and this training mm -hmm. is necessary and you just you kind of just stumbled yeah. right into that point that i was about right. to make which is exactly how I feel. I'm like, I hate doing this because it's tedious for me, but I recognize that a lot of people really need to understand this, that, you know, that they are really exploiting the fact that most people don't know that, you know, uh, aren't paying careful attention to the extension of a file. Like, like you get like uh, myresume.exe and people are like, oh, here's the resume, double click. Like, and it's like, no, 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 don't, don't do that. That's an executable file. Like that's going to run a program on your computer 
and you don't know what that is like uh not that you know fishing is a little bit more uh nuanced than that but like still you know like it's that level of mistake it's it's just like things that i pay so much attention to because they're so relevant to what i do um so it feels tedious to me so i recognize there's a degree of cursive knowledge there but i think that can be true for sexual harassment as well those people who are who have keyed themselves in to ways that women get treated in the workplace a lot are you know it seems really obvious like once you kind of see it and you get used to looking for the patterns and you know like what kinds of ways are are and are not appropriate ways to talk to women in the workplace uh it, it's not a hard like like i think a lot of people who don't know that there's this sense of like um i don't know how i can even talk to women i don't even know like how you're supposed to have a relationship with women in the workplace like and it feels like a big mystery and i get that like um it, if you aren't keyed into it it's not as obvious as i think the people who are keyed into it make it out to be uh, like it's not it's not like you can just always do common sense because the problem is is like I always say this about common sense type stuff like common sense is neither common nor sense um, it there there common sense is the expression of a current like God I'm gonna sound like such a like poly side type nerd but like common sense is the expression of current hegemonic thinking so like whatever you think common sense is is just a collection of things that have been labeled as normal or typical and none of them are you can always find with almost with with basically everything short of like don't touch fire like you can find examples of something that we consider common sense which would be completely alien and foreign to a different culture a different society sometimes long in the past, sometimes here existing on earth right now. Um, and the same thing's true for other cultures. They have things that they consider common sense, like, uh, uh, like I think it's, um, it, it's, it's just common sense, for example, in like, uh, I think Japan, to take off your shoes before you go into someone's house. Now that is a rule that some people have in the United States, but it's not a universal rule. I wouldn't even say it's a super common rule. Most people, at least that I know, and this is anecdotal, I admit, don't have that rule. And so like, but to, but it's such a, such a rule in Japan that it's considered common sense to take off your shoes when you go inside a person's home. No one has to say it. No one has to say, hey, I really prefer you take your shoes off in the entryway or anything like that. If you don't do it, everyone goes like, hey, what the hell? Uh, it's common sense. Everyone takes their shoes off in the thing. You don't want to track dirt everywhere or whatever. And it's like, well, it's not, common sense well i mean it is in Jap japanese culture but that's anyway basically what i'm getting at is that uh you know there's a it's very easy to think of things as very obvious when you're keyed into them and they have been normalized in your head and respectful behavior in a professional setting or in just in a general setting is not always like common sense or obvious um and this education is valuable and i think like um i think that failure for us to educate uh men 
at from a young age on how to approach you know behaviors and and you know there's a there's a lot of like almost intentional mystification of uh women and women's behavior i remember as a young as a young guy there was a lot of this like women are this big mystery and you'll never figure them out it was like uh like you you never know the ways of the 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 women they are fickle like the wind and they you know like all this type of stereotypes that that basically framed out a thing of like women are ununderstandable and strange and mysterious and it's not even bother worth it just do whatever you want and they're going to react how they react and it doesn't ever make sense and it's like well that's not true women are people <laughs> uh and if you treat them like people um they are usually fine and like if you, I, there, there is a degree to which like we, they, we were, we were not taught as young men, how to handle being mature and treating someone who is, who you may be sexually interested in, for example, with respect while expressing that as an, as a, something that you're interested in, right? Like, uh, and I think like this, this creates a whole environment of confusion where like a lot of the men who aren't educated in this sphere feel very confused and very lost and very frustrated. Uh, and, and, and a lot of uh, people who, uh, it's not their responsibility to educate those people. These education programs are important, but at the same time, like there is this kind of derision that happens where you go like, uh -huh, yeah, it's super obvious. Just treat women with respect, bro. And it's like, well, okay, it's easy to say that, but like you have in your head a fucked up idea of how women and men interact, right? Just treat women with respect. They're going to say, that's what I thought I was doing. And that's a genuine response. I agree. And and this is something where, and, and, and even before we start getting into something I want to clarify before we start getting into how to unpack this and what to unpack right. and how to move forward, I want to talk about the fact that uh, we all, when I say we, I refer to men, we all go through this unpacking process. Um, I uh, was generally raised with some decent ideas of this stuff on in, in personal life outside of the workplace. I also, though, when I was from the age of 15 to 18, got some really fucked up uh, paradigms of this from a workplace I was working in. Uh, I, my first job was at a Taco Bell. I don't care about disparaging Taco Bell. I'm going to give their name out all day. Um, I was working at a Taco Bell where a lot of shady shit was going on. To be fair, Taco Bell disparages themselves pretty well. <laughs> like, shady shit goes on in every Taco Bell, especially, like, you know, we were, like, late crew. Like, you know, we were there till on paper one in the morning, but often later because it's a Taco Bell. Um, really like the spicy, like what I want to talk about happened when I was about, uh, 17, like 17, 18 in that age range. Uh, I had a manager there, um, uh, who she was in her like late twenties, early thirties, um, and was very, 
she was sexually harassing me. Now, at the time, I was not necessarily... Um, I was not really quite mature. I, I was not mature enough to consent to her... Now, I want to be clear here, there was no sexual relations going on. But, like, she was flirting with me in the workplace. She would, like, when I would go into the office, she would, like, sit in my lap. Like, uh, we would go on smoke breaks and, like, uh, you know, just we're way too close to each other. And there was a lot of literal grab ass going on in the workplace. There was drinking after work. There was uh, her inviting me out after work. There was a lot of other coworkers there who were like engaging in like, you know, sexual things at work. Like there was a fucked up work environment there that I just took as normal. Like, ah, this is what work is like. Um, this is how people interact with each other. Even when these people are, you know, have authority and management presence over each other. It took the next job I had uh, the first real adult job I had when I was uh, about 18 that unlearned a lot of this out of me real fast because it was a predominantly, uh, it, I worked with predominantly women uh, who were just having no, no, who took no shit from me um, and who retaught and retrained a lot of like you know when i i would make crass jokes at work and they would put me in my place and discuss and, and explain to me why the way i was looking at the world was needed to be adjusted uh it, it was parenting was what it uh ended up at that age for me um uh and that's I, I, my point in sharing that is just to say that I'm not, I, neither of us are coming at this saying, you need to just be a perfect person, pop out that way, or else you're a bad person and now you just have to deal with being bad. I don't believe that and I don't, like, that's not our, that's not our whole point. That's not what we're doing here. Like, um, this is stuff that you can untrain from people and these are things that we are all conditioned to some level of acceptance or uh, engagement in. Um, so yeah. And yeah. I, it's, it's, um, and, and to put some, some numbers on it, you know, um, cause I think it's very easy to, um, for people to, especially because a lot of, um, a lot of power dynamics go in this, like your story, for example, where you know it's manager doing it to a, someone below them and they have to to wrestle with the tension of like do i say something about this and risk getting fired like how badly do i need this job like all this stuff um that plays into it as well so as a result like a lot of this stuff kind of gets underreported so it can be very easy to think like oh you know this is a few bad actors type of thing um you know, I think there's some, um, I, I think putting some numbers to it from some scientific studies um, will help uh, understand just how bad this problem can be. Um, so um, UC San Diego Center for Gender Equity and Health, uh, and the nonprofit organization Stop Street Harassment uh released 
a new study, well, new-ish, um, I think it was in 2019, um, that um, said, for example, uh, verbal comments are the most frequented type of sexual harassment. Um, but um, among all female respondents, 49% had been purposely sexually touched or groped. 27% have been followed and 30% have been flashed. So if, if for those who are not uh, the most math savvy in the audience, what I can put this to is almost half of women in, in this survey had been physically touched by someone unwanted. Oh, half. <laughs> One in four had been followed which is like the creepy start to like a a murder film like and something and almost one in three have been flashed <laughs> yeah and i mean like the followed thing is something that is so common in the food service industry where we have like like i i, I will say every place where i have worked in the food service industry there has been an incident where there was a woman who worked in the in that facility who was asking other coworkers like, Hey, I've got a creepy customer who's following me to my car at night. Like, can you walk me to my car everywhere I've worked? Like this has happened to at least one person who worked there. It's super common. And, and all of this, like all of this is kind of outside the workplace, but that's part of what I really want us to pull into is like, this all begins at outside the workplace. I mean, like, you know, I just said that I had some messed up uh, perspective, perspectives of stuff. At that same time, when I was 16, 17, when the same time I was learning that stuff at work, I was also like, you know, one of the, like, we, you know, me and my other teenage friends would like drive around like downtown on, uh, you know, and like, yeah, like catcall women, uh, which was a fucked up thing that you shouldn't do to women. We were teenagers who should have known better, um, but we were conditioned to doing some really stupid shit. And and that's what this is about, is unlearning that stupid shit. This, this is real. This is stuff that does really happen to I, almost every woman in our lives has been through this. Right. And the thing about it is, is like, you know, it's very easy to look at an individual instance of this kind of stuff and say, like, what's the huge deal? Yeah, OK, whatever. It's annoying, like uh, to be catcalled. Right. Like such a big deal out of it. Well, like you normalize one kind of behavior. And like when I say normalize, I mean, make it to the point where it's like totally fine to do it. No one's going to do anything to you. Nothing bad's going to happen. No one's going to call you out. Everything, everyone's just like, yeah, bro. Yeah. Tell her she's hot, whatever. Like that means that there is like, if you start to get frustrated, angry, depressed, like if you start to experience forms of mental illness or anything like that, what happens is in your brain, you go like, here's where the normal line is. And I'm frustrated. So I'm going to push that in the way that like, you know, not to hit people, but when you get mad, you go like, I don't care about this line. I'm going to do the thing that I want to do. Right. But you're not going to murder a guy because that's too far, but you are going to punch a guy. Right. And the same thing applies to this kind of behavior. You get frustrated with failures in dating life or 
whatever. And you're like, catcalling is normal. That's fine. I'm not going to rape someone, but maybe I'll cop a feel. Right. And that is how this kind of thing starts to happen. And the more you normalize, the further the, that line goes. And the, the, the unfortunate reality is you just like most people can punch a guy and not murder someone someone loses their temper and kills someone just like someone loses their cool and rapes someone or whatever you know th these are not like playing around with norms like this is exactly the point you you the reason that it's not okay to normalize small forms of this is specifically because inevitably wherever you draw the line in a moment of a, of high emotional stress or whatever people push on the lines and most people have a point which they won't go to but some smaller number of those people misjudge where they think they will go to and then that's how the really bad stuff happens, right? So like the safe thing to do is to pull this back. It's like, no, it's not even okay to catcall people, right? Because we need to draw that line so far back that that even the really extreme things don't happen um, almost ever. Now, I don't think we're going, like, I'm not a delusional person. I don't think like, if we just stopped catcalling women, no more rapes would happen. Like that's not realistic, obviously, but, we also can't pretend like setting norms doesn't have uh, a significant impact on the results. And these numbers do not lie. Like if half of women are being sexually touched or groped, like that indicates that we've got a lot of people who are, who, who are pushing a boundary to a, a degree that's already not okay and then it's not surprising from there that you start getting like one in four women have been followed one in four women have survived some sort of sexual assault like these are not surprising given stuff like half of all women have been touched inappropriately from someone they don't want it's not it, like that that's almost what you'd expect and the way to draw that back is to draw that line further back and say like, no, like even these small infractions are not okay because they, because allowing those things to be okay opens up room for more aggressive behaviors to be pushed. And we, we run ourselves into a very common cognitive dissonance when we, when we attack uh, attempts to solve issues with, well, that doesn't solve the entire problem. You know, when, when we say, well, dealing with that isn't going to stop rape from ever happening. Well, no, but um, people using their headlights at night doesn't stop all car accidents from happening. But yeeting yourself down I-35 at 70 mile an hour at four o'clock in the morning with no headlights on turns you into a threat. So, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, yeah, this is all part of mitigation and, and, and training of, you know, training people, training men, teaching men to be better members of our community and society to protect other people. Um, so rolling all of this back. So what do we do? How do we deal with this? 
how do we help like how do we ourselves start getting better at this why well, I, I mean we've addressed some of this don't cat call women just don't draw your line further back than th that like just yeah don't do that um it, it's stupid it's juvenile it, it i i can go into we should probably have a whole episode someday about cat calls that there should be somebody more um knowledgeable than me on with but um but, but other things we so like what we can do that directly influences all of this something that i've kind of ran into something that i often give as advice is to say um in your all male like if you have all male friend groups which is fine i like i have a like we both discussed that we both have a lot of women who are friends of ours but i do have specific friend groups who are primarily or entirely male so in those all male friend groups would a woman feel uncomfortable within those groups and if your analysis of that comes up with a no that the way you behave as a group would make somebody feel uncomfortable unsafe or just just generally not a good place for them to be then you need to readdress how you act as a group and how you act among your friends and how you how you move about the world. Now, I know that's a very general kind of thing that falls into maybe a, a bit of a like space where we were at before about like, you know, just practice common sense. And I'm not trying to say that, but I think that's just a good place to begin at processing this kind of stuff because that gets to the systemic issue in a workplace because this is what is happening in a workplace. These are groups of male predominant spaces where just the whole space is toxic and untouchable uh, for folks who are not men, straight men. Um, so that's a first place to begin with. Like, just the no space should be that way. You know, I, in the groups of men I hang out with, if there was a woman who one day joined our group, they wouldn't be hit on aggressively um, in, in, in ways that they were not uh, consenting to or you know, equally participating within or um, otherwise felt, uh, it's the word I'm looking for here, self-determination and like self-liberated within, right? They just, that just wouldn't happen. They're not going to get catcalled, obviously, because that falls into that first one. Uh, they're not going to be disrespected. That falls into that first one. And they're not going to be have things unnecessarily explained to them that falls into that first one like they're not you know th th this kind of list goes down and it's that's i think one of the beginning ways of processing that i think all of this stuff begins with processing it of a way of recognizing that this problem is real and this problem is something that you have to address within yourself and within your friend groups uh, an example of this was that i had a male friend come up to me the other day saying that a coffee shop that he regulars there is a barista who works there who he is very attracted to and has had several conversations with where they really seem to head it off and he really liked them and really likes their personality and thinks they're really cool but he approached me and said hey i don't know how to deal with this i'm i don't know like 
I don't know if it even is appropriate for me to ask her out because she's doing a job. She's at work. She has to be nice to me and be polite with me and open up conversation with me. And I don't know if all of this is just her doing her job really well. And I don't know if I'm just, you know, if, if all of this is just inappropriate and not in the space because also there's a dynamic here. I am a customer of hers. She can't be... Uh, you know, she can't just give me a hard no because then that might, you know, maybe I write a bad Google review. Maybe I uh, say something to her manager. Maybe I throw a fit. Maybe I follow her home, to, follow her to her car because I know where she works and I probably know what, like, you may know what she drives, may know what her schedule is. Like, there's all of this situation here to unpack that could make her uncomfortable, could make her unsafe, and could remove her ability to have a say in this question of whether or not like you know maybe we can go catch dinner together or something now i didn't have a straight i didn't have a solid answer for that i i honestly don't i don't think any like those are complicated situations with factors that only the people involved in those situations can know there is no textbook answer there is no you open up the book and there's one sentence that tells you what to do but at least processing all of that and realizing that all of those problems factor into this helps you have the sincerity of beginning to come to an answer. So I'll actually, I'll actually go a little bit stronger here. And I'll say, I think that, um, like, I agree with you, there is not a textbook answer. Uh, and that's true. Um, I have a friend for example, who had the following situation. Uh, I will try to avoid naming names here. He was um, separated from his wife, but not legally divorced uh, for insurance reasons and whatnot. He would be in a lot of medical trouble if he didn't have access to health insurance. Uh, and so they were still married so he could be on her insurance uh, while he got kind of reestablished because she was kind of the breadwinner. Um, uh, and, you know, he was trying to date in the meantime, and he ran into this problem, like, well, should I bring it up on the first date, which is a huge, like, heavy thing to, like, throw at someone when you're just getting to know them, or should I, like, wait until it's obvious this relationship is trying to go somewhere, and I was like, I don't really know, like, that's a hard question to answer, I was like, you know, you could, you may just have to experiment and see what you get, well, he did, and what he got was, um, wildly random results. Some people he told on the first date and they were like, thanks for telling me. I really appreciate that. Some people was like, whoa, that's way too heavy at first. Like I, I don't, you know, I'm just trying to get to know you. I don't need to know your personal life, like type stuff. Other people he waited and some people were like, Hey, you know, thanks for not bringing that up immediately. Some people were like, why didn't you tell me this on the first date? I'm so mad at you. Like there, there is no right answer because some degree of personality and preference comes into play here. Um, and so what I'll say is, um, given, you know, given the things that you can't control, I think the thing that, that you said about sincerity, being sincere, is the, the thing that you can do, right? Like, for example, with your friend's situation with the barista, my take is, like, I think you have to weigh the following thing. One, uh, this person works there and they may need this job and they can't escape. And if you open up that can of worms and they are suddenly very uncomfortable with you, you may need, it may be your responsibility to not go there anymore. 
in order to not as long as they work there you know because of yeah uh, you know you've chosen to take a risk that involves risking your ability to go to that coffee shop regularly they work okay because there's a power dynamic involved right um so you have to decide whether or not that's a thing worth paying if you decide that it is all you can really do at that point i think is just go up and like sincerely explain like hey i recognize like i'm a customer you work here like uh so don't you know like give all the caveats say them like i understand like if, if you um you know if i've misread the situation or anything uh i apologize for that but uh you know i just I think you're really cool. Uh, I was hoping to get to know you sort of outside of this like work environments and, you know, maybe we, if you'd be interested, we could grab dinner sometime or something. And, you know, you get the answer that you get and you just hope that you give the caveats and explain the situation that you recognize the weird dynamic at play here that hopefully gives them the impression that they can give you a honest answer and then you get what you get right like there is you're never going to get a like this is the, the like <laughs> society has outlined the perfect parameters and rules to follow such that if you execute it this way like everyone will go you're the good person but like um i'm skeptical of the idea of like you know thinking of morality in terms of good and bad people is um a helpful framework anyway but like the the reality is is that like you try your best to be sincere and be uh like communicate over communicate um you you say what you need to say to, to communicate to the other person that you recognize that there's a little bit of weirdness at play here but your but your interest in them extends to a point that you felt the need to or you felt like you wanted to sort of communicate this and then if they say no, and it's very clear that like they're starting to be a little uncomfortable with you being around, leave. Don't come back for a while. Like it's okay. Like there's lots of coffee shops with good coffee. You'll be fine. Like, you know, that's a risk that you decided to take when you opened up that can of worms. And it may turn out well. I mean, she, she you know, she may be like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's get some dinner. Um, but I, I don't, I, I think that a lot of problems, uh, I, I think a lot of the problems in these kinds of situations often stem from the fact that the people who go into them are insincere. Like they aren't actually willing to take no for an answer or accept whatever comes. They have an idea in their head and they want that idea to be fulfilled and they will get angry if they don't get what they want. Um, and, you know, fundamentally that's just a toxic way to be in general. Um, and that gets, uh, we, this is now uh, one of several times we've touched on this, but like that kind of gets a little bit into like the whole, um, you know, incel type of like weird toxic, uh, you know, relationships between, uh, you know, what we tell men when they're young and how we portray romance and how we portray all this kind of stuff and what the reality of the situation is. Um, but I think like if you're coming from a place of sincerity and actually care about respecting the humanity of the person that you're talking to, I think the best you can do is just communicate very clearly as best you can and 
rec try to explicitly recognize any like existing power dynamics or anything like that and then just say like recognizing all that i'd like to ask you this question and i want your answer to be as free as you can make it and at that point like i don't think you can do much of anything else like the other option is to set a rule that like anyone that you have power over is not acceptable to ask which uh, then opens up this other very strange can of worms of is there anyone that you don't have power over in some sense uh yeah and i mean and I uh, it's a very big ethical quandary at that point you know yeah and I, I definitely think there are places where that ethical quandary does have to come into play like i think if you work in a situation where you are a manager you definitively had need to have firm lines of like I have significant power over this person and their livelihood and their, you know, such and so forth. That we, that's a professional relationship. Can never be anything else. Would never have attempted to do anything else, to be anything else, you know? Never attempt to, like, you know, try to build a relationship of that nature with that person. I think there are certain situations where you definitely have to kind of come to that realization uh i you know i don't think necessarily that is maybe it um but, but yeah i i think is exactly as you're saying like as long as you're addressing this with sincerity and with really trying to process through all of these things and, and figure all of this out i really don't see a situation where you're going to put yourself in a situation where you're going to My grandpa used to hit on every waitress that we ever had anywhere I ever went. Anytime I would have lunch with him, he would incessantly flirt with and hit on and, and sexually harass the waitress, waitresses and the staff. You're not going to do that if you give a shit about those people as a human being. And that's something that takes practice of doing. And I mean, it, it sounds shitty to think about the fact that we have to practice caring about human beings to do good at caring about human beings, but we really do. This is a foundational element of a lot of, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm going off the deep end here a little bit on some things, but this is a foundational element of a lot of religions and spiritual beliefs in the world is the idea that if you want to do good, uh, if you want to be empathetic, if you want to care about others, and if you want to act on that care about others, you have to practice on it all the way from the micro scale to the macro scale. It's something that takes work. Just like any other thing you might try to do, you don't just get to decide to be good and walk into it and do good things. You have to practice that. Um, we may get into this in the review episode, but I mean, parenting will teach you that more than anything. Like, watch and really think about what it would look like for an adult to act like a toddler or a kindergartner or a third grader like these you know you what you see if you look at different stages of development as you're like just in in the experience with the and with the anecdotal experience of, of raising a handful of human beings through stages of development you reckon you can see a very clear pattern of like you were born with someone who was basically like uh like because of ignorance like not because of uh, mental illness you know more or less like a psychopath they don't see or even understand other people as like full human beings they only are concerned with their own self they literally scream 
if they don't get the littlest things that they want or if any if they feel even remotely uncomfortable uh and they you know progressively learn as they get older through practice and constant correct to become more empathetic to become more selfless to become better at interacting with other people it's not unusual it doesn't make you bad like if you go and like 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 that's the thing if you go and like people are saying like the way that you're behaving is not okay that doesn't mean that you're a bad person it just means that you have some kind of moral education that you haven't been through that you that you probably should have gotten younger and it's okay that's true for everyone at some thing like we've all met the person who's like 40 years old who goes like uh like uh like i don't know something like uh, i didn't know a deer wasn't a rodent or whatever like people who have some kind of very obvious gap in their thing that just never came up and it's okay but the key is to not go not view that situation as like i'm being threatened with being labeled as a bad person and my only goal is to defend myself at all costs it's to go okay i have something that i didn't understand that i have a missing information here i need to correct that and in correcting that i will have learned a way to be better because the alternative is you defend yourself at all costs and then you're the asshole you're the guy who everyone looks at as like yeah there's uh steve or whatever He's the guy who treats women like garbage. And anytime anyone calls him out on it, he uh, says a bunch of shit like, um, oh, come on. Like, uh, what's the big deal? You know, I'm just a little flirting or whatever. He's like, he says these kind of things and all the women are super uncomfortable around him and we all know it. And uh, he's that guy. You know, you're going to be that guy. Uh, and that's not a place you want to be at, man. Like, it, it just isn't like it's so much better to live your life with the idea that like you can be wrong about stuff and correct it than it is to try to view every interaction as a potential labeling of you being in in the like good or bad category uh because if you live your life the second way you're going to be miserable because people fuck up constantly and also the target moves like what's good and what's bad isn't a fixed thing in in reality that you can just learn and then once you've learned it it's like two plus two equals four it moves all the time and it moves a lot of time without you being keyed into the even the reasons why it moves or even aware that it had moved it's okay it's okay to be wrong sometimes as long as your attitude to that is is one of reflection and self-correction and not one of like i have to defend myself from being perceived as the bad guy because that's how you get labeled as the bad guy is when you defend yourself from correction um instead of instead of uh accepting it and and really thinking about it a hundred percent in wrapping all of this around um in, in, in highlighting an importance of intersectionality in this is and, and I frankly I frankly defining a number of elements of intersectionality with this. 
going back to my initial story, right? I said that we had two uh, real players involved in that situation. One was an older uh, male manager who was acting as a predator. He was preying on young girls. This was a situation that was very specific to him. He was actively engaging in behaviors that were unacceptable. On the other hand, you had an environmental side of it where he had done this sort of a thing and he created this environment around it that was like, and the director created this environment where like this is just how it is in a workplace and you had a lot of other male employees underneath that individual who did a lot of passive toxic environment stuff right this is where they're making jokes about like sexual jokes in the workplace that make women uncomfortable they're leering at women in a way that makes them uncomfortable they're just generally not contributing to a healthy workplace it wasn't as predatory but it existed there because of the system and conditioning of like all the stuff we've talked about today, right? That was all like the majority of employees there who were engaging in sexual harassment were doing so more under what we're talking about here. Now, where the intersectionality of this comes into play is when we were trying to do something about this at a management level. That manager, yeah, he was white. All of his staff, all of the actual people who worked in the kitchen who were full-time staff, all black and brown. And the management instinctual reaction was to say, hey, that manager, he's under contract. We can't do anything about him. But maybe we can clean house with everybody else. And we still look like we solved the problem, um, but we didn't break a contract and, you know, have to, you know, it's much quieter and much easier to do. And that was part of the importance of having... That that is the importance of having a appropriate response to these things, responding to these things before they happen, not just waiting until you have a sexual harassment problem develop where you have a negative culture existing, where you have something you have to fix. Address it before it ever gets there, because when it does get there, the way it's going to play out is probably going to have a lot of complications of racism, sexism, and, and, and classism, and all of these other marks here, right? So, like, in this situation, we're looking at a classism issue where wealthier managers are able to get away with things that blue-collar folks aren't able to get away with. Not that they should get away with them, but just, you know, there's a difference there in how the actual disciplinary actions and retraining actions actually take place. There's a racial construct to that in way more workplaces than we like to admit. Uh, the past several places where I have worked that were large institutions were institutions where all of the lower level employees were all black and brown and all the upper level employees were white. This is an incredible commonality in the American workforce um, because of systemic white supremacy and systemic racism. So... In those situations, yep. you're finding black and brown people who will get punished for things that, you know, wealthy white managers aren't getting punished for. If we aren't actively training and preparing these environments and engaging in this stuff ourselves and training and, you know, 
holding the hands of the men around us, if that this makes sense. Not, yeah, yeah. And it's not like, this isn't like just like a woke, like, you know, uh, you know, let's complain about all the minorities thing, like, either. Like, I think a lot of people have that kind of reaction. And it's like, if you want to get into hard data, it's true there too. Like, um, young people, marginalized groups experience um, sexual harassment more often. Um, uh, f- uh, for example, from the same study quoted earlier, um, of those who experienced sexual harassment and assault, which was uh, 23%, like uh, in total, 23% of women and 9% of men had, ex- had experienced actual sexual uh, harassment or assault. Uh, oh, sorry. Sorry, up to, up to uh, 49% of women and uh, at least 9% of men had survived a actual sexual assault. But regardless, of those who actually experienced it, um, 18% of women and 16% of men had experienced it within six months. And of those, one third of young women, 18 to 24, about 32%, uh, had, 32% of them were young, 35% of them were black, women and 39% of them are lesbian or bisexual women. Like that's a lot compared to their percentage of the population at large. So like that is a real sign that like a lot of this has nothing to do with just like someone thinks that you're hot and loses control either like some degree there's a power dynamic going on here there's some degree to which the people participating in the sexual harassing behavior are identifying people who they know can't fight back or have are less likely to fight back because it keeps happening more often to people who have less power in society so like it's not a made up woke thing of like, oh, you know, look another way that black people are persecuted. Like it's in the data. It's, it's a thing that you can see objectively in the data here. Um, and yeah, so like it is, it's racialized, it's sexualized, uh, like bisexual identity as well as like just gender. Um, and so it's, it's a whole, it's a whole thing and and I, I can't stress enough that like it's not just um like it, it it's it, that that's borne out in the in the scientific data about it um so it's it's a hundred percent real by any any rational definition of, of what a real problem means yeah so i i think that can more or less be our, our kind of final takeaway here is of course First of all, that this problem is real and is ever-present. It's something that you don't get to pick what workplace has this problem or not. You've got to train. First, you need to teach yourself these elements. Then you need to teach the men around you these elements. You need to call people out when they are in the wrong in the workplace and in your personal life. When men act wrong when men do the wrong things help create that you know that you know a culture uh, you know cultures of good things or cultures of 
bad things, cultures of toxicity. That's, you know, that's how that's happening. You're, you're conditioning each other and the people within your friend groups one way or the other. Be conditioning people in a way of being respectful of others. And when you call them out, do it in a way that is with compassion and care for your mm -hmm. friend. Don't do it in like this, like self-aggrandizing way of like, ah, as the good person in the group, let me tell you how you are bad. Like, yeah, that's the kind of shit that drives people, you know, further into toxic behavior, you know, say like, Hey man, uh, that's not cool. Explain why. I mean, yeah, like, it, it, like take it upon yourself to explain why, because that will improve their behavior. Because if someone just says like, you're bad, you suck, stop it. Like no one's there. A may not even understand what you're talking about. And B like, it doesn't help them in the future when evaluating how they should behave. Yeah. This falls into the philosophy of, of, of effectivity, like, or of effectiveness. Is that, is that, a, is the thing you did effective? There's lots of things that we can do as a response to things. There are lots of reactionary moves we can do that accomplish nothing in the way of the goal we want to have accomplished. Is there a point to doing something if it doesn't affect the goal we want to have accomplished? I don't think there is. So yeah, I'm 100% with you. Like, yeah, just calling somebody a dick doesn't stop them from being a dick. That being yeah. said, there are certain key individuals in our society who you can't fix. And that takes a different approach. That's a different situation. That was that manager I'm talking about. I wasn't going to be able to, we weren't going to be able to retrain him. Uh, there are way worse people than him out there who, you know, there's, you know, this kind of falls into like the, the you know, something that comes up a lot in, in a lot of friend groups I have of like, how do you address racism within white, you know, like among all of your white friends, how do you address racism when it comes up? And there's this argument of like, yeah, somebody who is young and relatively kind of progressive leaning and is open and, you know, just a reasonable person, you know, we're all still um, products of a system of white supremacy and of racism. And there's a chance, yeah, you, you say some racist, okay, you, you can address that. You can process that within a framework. Meanwhile, you take somebody who has lived in an aggressively white uh, community for 70 years, uh, is a part of the system, is part of the status quo, is invested into a certain class and race, uh, class, race, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, economic strata. Can you fix their racism? No, probably not. Not as an individual. You can't reverse, you know, let's say 60 years of conditioning that they have went through. The same kind of thing applies to this. Like there are like, yeah, you don't like, I don't know. I don't know if what I'm saying is really making sense there, but uh, yeah, help your friends. Be kind, be intentional with your efforts with folks who can be reached. Recognize when there are folks who can't be reached and the other folks within your friend, within your community just need to be protected from them. Recognize that and then address that differently. Um yeah, it just continue to process these things. Seek out education from good and reliable sources. Uh, when your workplace does sexual harassment training, pay the fuck attention. I know it's dumb. I know a lot of it seems obvious, but there's a lot of things to us that seem obvious that on the day-to-day, -day, like when we think about it, it's really obvious, but on the day-to-day, -day, do we act on it? 
it's really obvious that you need to turn your headlights on at night. Do a lot of us sometimes not turn our headlights on at night? Yeah, it happens. We do it. We do dumb decisions. Sometimes we don't use our blinker, even though we all know if we were all forced to watch a driving uh, you know, instruction thing and they were telling us the importance of using our blinker whenever we make a turn, we would understand that like, oh, this is silly and I don't want to have to sit through this. But I promise that we all sometimes don't do that. Uh, you have to sometimes train yourself in things that you already know, but there's a difference between knowing and knowing. So engage in that in that training, engage in that stuff, push forward at your work. If your employer isn't doing sexual harassment training, make them. I promise whatever state you live in probably has mandated sexual harassment training, especially if your employer gets any type of funds from the state or federal government. Push for it. Make it happen. If you have an HR department, HR departments are there to protect the employer against the employees. So leverage that shit for the value of your fellow employees because them having HR training will protect them from you suing their ass. So leverage it and make them do HR training. It sounds petty. It sounds pointless. It sounds like a lot to go through that you don't want to do, but it will save you the the environment. You won't have to work in a shitty environment where people are preyed upon and uh, abused within your workspace. Yeah, it's classic win-win, right? Like the employer wins because they don't get sued. You win because you're female co-workers or if you are female yourself don't get harassed as much and and, like, and yeah yeah and, and and i think right there too is an important thing when somebody especially whenever a woman corrects you and says hey look what you just did made me uncomfortable don't 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 internalize or don't don't personalize that don't be like oh i'm so sorry that made you uncomfortable just be just just apologize for doing the thing that made her uncomfortable and don't do it again. It's really quite simple, but so many of us fail to understand it. Our reaction is to want to apologize for the fact that our actions made somebody else feel a certain way. That The problem isn't how other people felt about our actions. The problem is our actions. If somebody tells you, hey, stomping on my foot hurt, don't say, oh, well, I'm sorry you feel pain in your feet say you're sorry for stomping on their foot yeah i'm sorry you feel that way is the classic uh, uh apology blaming apology like i'm gonna apologize but i'm going to make sure that you understand that it's your fault um like <laughs> yeah apologizing without apologizing so yeah so um those are the best biggest best most important tips i can give there are lots of places to go for much better information on how to prevent sexual harassment inside your work force workforce workplace and personal spaces um but i hope that me sharing my stories today kind of gave you gave folks a little bit of insight that this is a real life thing i can certainly attest that like i said every woman in my life has went through this at some point to varying degrees many of these degrees far beyond anything i have discussed today or ever experienced um 
Philip, you brought some great data that shows that the data represents this as well. Um, this is the, the first step to dealing with a problem is recognizing that it's real. And this is a real problem, and it's something that most commonly comes from men. I mean, as I said early into this, I had, like, I was being sexually harassed by a woman in a workplace very early on in my career. It does happen the other direction. But even in that case, when it happened in that direction, what did that incur? It caused a lot of me moving forward in the future and creating some toxic work environments myself. Um, that's how a lot of this happens. Uh, so, like, you know, don't fall back into a like a defensive posture of like, well, how dare we put this on men? Like, no, it's on. It's mostly on men. And if we fix men, male sexual harassment, toxic, like the toxic environment that create that creates all of this, we'll fix a lot of the sexual harassment that comes back our direction because, like, that's all linked. I mean, yeah. Yep, a hundred percent. Um, so that's all I have really for this week. Do you have anything else to add, Philip? No, I think that's it for me. I think that it's a, um, you know, I think that it's one of those issues that's, that is wrapped up in some, some other issues of like, you know, um, changing, just changing social norms, changing social norms are always, you know, rough and they're usually especially rough on those that are part of the um you know the group that is benefited the most from the way that things have been in the past um but i think the important thing is you know to recognize that that you know these changes can seem scary but they're actually like fine it's just a matter of like figuring some stuff out and and unlearning some things that you may have learned i mean that doesn't yeah. make you bad I feel like this has been a highlight of many of our episodes is the realization of the fact that if we're all working together as a community of people who care about one another and care about uh, our consensual, the consensuality of our relationships, um, shit, it's just better. That's just a better world to live in. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> this stuff hurts hurts men too like you know something that we didn't talk about because it's you know off it is such a such a focus problem for women but like you know there was a pretty significant um uh a pretty significant number of men uh you know 16 percent of men uh or i should say you know 16 percent of men had experienced sexual harassment within the past six months um nine percent of men had experienced uh had ex had survived sexual assault like that's not nearly as high as women but it's still one in ten almost that's a lot like i know 10 guys statistically one of them has probably survived a sexual assault that's pretty upsetting um so, you know, just internalize some of those numbers, really think about what that means. And I think you'll realize that this is, you know, it's for the better that these things are changing. Um, it's not just for the better for women, it's for the better for men too. Agreed, 100%. Um, 
Are there any organizations or anything you would like to plug this week? Uh, I really should ask this question before we begin episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we're, are we doing that one thing? Uh, oh, um, I'll explain that after the episode. Okay, but, okay, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, I'm going to edit that out. Uh, <laughs> or maybe not, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. No, I think I'm good. I don't have anything off the top of my head to plug right now. Yeah. If you have anything, any local projects or anything that you want us to plug, please reach out. Uh, we always love uh, signal boosting uh, projects that are um, uh, you know, of people trying to build communities and, and, and really uh, make for uh, better worlds and, and better communities. So if you have any organization and you want us to signal boost you, uh, please reach out. 100% agreed. Thank you all for joining us. Have a good evening, morning, afternoon, or whatever other time of day it is. Thank you.